Today from the Global Lane, welcome to the new censorship threatening the foundation of the American Republic. The millennials today are on the forefront of censorship. They think they have the truth. Sending millions of American taxpayer dollars to Central America to ease the border crisis. Will it work? The problem is that you're, you're dealing with, with three uh, historically very corrupt governments. Classrooms closed and stuck at home. The new surge in child domestic violence victims. The pandemic not only heightened the trauma, but heightened the exposure of the students to the trauma. And not allowing a good gun crisis to go to waste. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. From a sitting U.S. president to average Americans voicing their opinions about COVID-19 origins, masking and vaccines. It seems if you share an opinion that doesn't support a progressive narrative, you'll be censored, maybe even banned from social media platforms. Our next guest suggests this dangerous trend is threatening the U.S. Constitution and the very fabric of the American Republic. Here to share his thoughts on the new censorship that is restricting free speech worldwide is former Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz. Professor Dershowitz is a constitutional law expert, civil libertarian, and free speech advocate. His latest book is The Case Against New Censorship. Professor Dershowitz, it's a pleasure, sir, to discuss this important issue with you. I know the Nazis burned books. Lenin, Stalin, and Mao silenced those who expressed views in opposition to their governments. Is this new censorship that you write about reminiscent of those one-party totalitarian states? How would you describe it? Well, it has this in common. Uh, the people who burned the books in Nazi Germany were students. Uh, the people who advocated communism in Lenin and Stalin's Russia were students. Um, the millennials today are on the forefront of censorship. They think they have the truth and they don't need dissent. They don't need due process. Why bother with dissenting views or free speech if they know what the truth is? If they know that every white cop who shoots a black person is, of course, guilty without regard to the facts of the law, if they know that every man who is accused by a woman, of course, is guilty. The woman is always going to tell the truth. <clears throat> you know, if they know that everybody who raises questions about an election are lying and making up facts, uh, even if you disagree with them, why do you need uh, free speech? So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're not in Nazi Germany. We're not in Stalin's Russia. But we are uh, getting close to situations where uh, non-government officials, and that's what's so dangerous, non-government officials, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, uh, YouTube, are determining what we can hear, what we can say. You know, the First Amendment has two aspects, the right of the speaker to speak, but the right of the audience to listen. And we, the audience, are being deprived of free speech. Let me give you an example. Bobby Kennedy, the son of the former attorney general and a great environmental lawyer, but he's a, a vaccine skeptic. I am more of a supporter of vaccination. We had a wonderful debate. It could be a, it could have been held in any major university in the world, and it was on constitutional law, on medical considerations, on science, and hundreds, even thousands of people watched the debate and liked it. And then YouTube took it down. They said vaccination is not a debatable issue. We don't want to hear two sides of it, and we don't want our audience to hear two sides of it. So hundreds of thousands of people were denied the right to hear me and Bobby Kennedy debate this issue. I won the debate by default. I don't want to win the debate by default. I want to win the debate on the merits in the marketplace of ideas. Big tech CEOs 
will deny they're censoring conservative speech or speech that doesn't quite fit their progressive narratives. But we've already seen how they blocked the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. That happened just prior to last fall's election. So that censorship decision may have influenced the outcome of the presidential vote. So how worrisome is that type of censorship influencing election outcomes by preventing all factual information from being made public? It's very dangerous because it not only prevents that or has interference with that, but on so many other aspects of, of life, on whether to take a vaccination uh, or not, on uh, other issues. The head of the little town of Brooklyn Center uh, said that he thought that the woman police officer who pulled out her gun instead of her taser and thought she was firing the taser, yelling, taser, 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 when she was indicted for manslaughter, the, the town guy said she ought to be given due process, and he was immediately fired for calling for a constitutional right, due process for every citizen. You get fired, and there were threats, and if they didn't fire him, there would be all kinds of repercussions. Um, that's the problem that's going on in America today. You uh, were a Harvard law professor. What's happening in universities like Harvard, Yale, others that were once known as places of debate, discourse, and free speech. What's happening? I'll give you an example. At Harvard, I have a colleague named Ron Sullivan, the first African-American ever made a dean of Harvard College. And he was a great dean. And then he made the, quote, mistake of defending Harvey Weinstein for about a month on constitutional issues. And the students in his college said they felt unsafe. They didn't feel unsafe when a year earlier he defended somebody accused of a double murder. But they felt unsafe because he was representing somebody who they didn't like and who had been accused of sexual misconduct. So he got fired by Harvard University um, for who he represented. If John Adams had been a professor at Harvard back in 1771, he'd have been fired, I guess, for representing the Boston Massacre soldiers. And Abraham Lincoln would have been fired because he represented some disreputable characters and great people in America have represented awful people over time. And during McCarthyism, they get fired for it. And under the new McCarthyism, they're fired for it as well. So we have a violation of the First Amendment, of the Sixth Amendment, of the Fifth Amendment. Many of the millennials just don't care about the Constitution. They know the truth with the capital T. And why have dissent? Why have due process? Why bother with those cumbersome uh, excesses when we know the truth and don't need to hear an opposing point of view? I don't think they're taught the Constitution anymore. So is it too late to reverse this trend? What do we do about it? File lawsuits, regulate big tech, what? First of all, it's not too late. We write books, as I do. We have talk shows like you do. And um, we try to appeal directly to the American public. Then we go to the Supreme Court. We have legislation which could restrict the ability of um, social media to take advantage of Section 230, which exempts them from lawsuits if they continue to censor speech. So a lot of things we can do. We haven't lost this battle, um, and it's part of a bigger war. And look, I lived through McCarthyism as a student in college. We overcame that. I think we'll overcome this. Okay, it's just beginning, is it not? Professor Alan Dershowitz, constitutional law expert, author of the new book, The Case Against New Censorship. Thank you, Professor, for sharing your time and insights with us. We appreciate you. Thank you.
Not only are Mexican cartels making hundreds of millions of dollars smuggling humans across the U.S. southern border, but U.S. government officials report the cartels are also raking in huge profits by smuggling massive amounts of narcotics, especially the deadly drug fentanyl, into the country. Fentanyl seizures are up 360% over the same period last year. So what needs to be done to stop illegal narcotics from pouring over our porous border and poisoning our people? Well, joining us is former federal prosecutor Josh Jones. Mr. Jones, a senior fellow for border security at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Josh, thank you for being here. And before we discuss the cartels, the drug smuggling, please share your thoughts about the Biden administration's announcement that it's sending $310 million to Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador to entice potential migrants to remain in their own countries. So will that plan work? What do you think? Well, it hasn't worked before. Uh, we, to this point, have, have attempted to address the issues in that part of the world by sending transfer payments down to those countries. And, and the problem is that you're, you're dealing with, with three uh, historically very corrupt governments. So you're, you're essentially sending money uh, with no strings attached down to, down to uh, governments that uh, aren't, don't necessarily have the best interests of, of their people in mind all the time. So in the past, it has not worked. Uh, I, I think we need to find a better, uh, more innovative uh, solutions in, in order to get capital down there, such as incentivizing investment down there as, as opposed to just uh, direct transfer payments. So, Josh, many Americans feel the border issue was handled pretty well by the Trump administration, more than 100 days into the Biden administration, we have a border czar, Vice President Harris, who has yet to visit the border. You were down there. She hasn't been down there. What do you think? Well, she has attempted to uh, limit uh, her actual job or her actual role in the immigration crisis to uh, essentially diplomatic relations with the Northern Triangle countries as opposed to addressing uh, the physical reality of, of the crisis at the border right now. So, uh, you know, that, that was, that's her choice. That, you know, and from, from the moment Biden tapped her uh, to that role, she immediately came out and said that, quote unquote, she's not doing the border. Uh, so, so fair enough. Uh, she, she's uh, taking a step back from that. But uh, the, the real problems, as, as we know, as we know right now, are right here at the border. Well, I mean, at least she could go maybe to Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, like you did. Uh, you were able to go. Why, why couldn't the vice president of the USA? And she's got Secret Service and all the protection she needs. Well, we've seen human traffickers profit. Uh, they're raking in millions of dollars now, smuggling women and children across the U.S. border even abandoning little children like that Nicaraguan boy, Wilton, when they could not pay ransom money. And if that's not bad enough, massive amounts of illegal narcotics, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl from China, pouring over a porous southern border. So how bad is it, Josh? Well, the, the drug problem is, has been bad for, for a long time, ever since I've been, been, I've been doing this for 12 years. And obviously the, the, uh, the, the, the drug trafficking problem uh, as it involves Mexico is, is, is much older than that. Uh, started you know, back in the 80s with cocaine and before that with marijuana uh, and heroin coming up from, from Mexico. Uh, in, in terms of the, the human trafficking and the, and the human smuggling, that that is something that we're seeing a, a sharp increase in right now uh, in terms of numbers and, and in terms of the anecdotal stories that, that, that you're talking about, the, the horrors that, that we're seeing right now down there. Well, I know border agents are saying it's the worst they've seen in 20 years or more. So what needs to be done by President Biden and the U.S. Congress to make a difference, to reduce, maybe even stop the trafficking? 
I think a good start would be to change their messaging or at least to get their messaging consistent. The, the problem uh, for the Biden administration from the start is that their messaging is all over the place. The border is open, the border is not open. Title 42 is revoked. Title 42, the, 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 the rule that, that uh, prevents people from entering because of, because of COVID, uh, it's, it's either on or it's off. It's on for kids from, from Northern Triangle countries. It's off for other people unless they happen to be here with them. I mean, the, the messaging is all over the place. And the problem is that uh, the, the traffickers, the smugglers in Central America will take messaging that's advantageous to, to them and, and pitch that to, to people down there who want to be smuggled up to the United States. And uh, that's the reason that, that the numbers are, are, one reason that the numbers are so high right now. Uh, I, I think we need to do something about the, uh, about the policy that, that is, is allowing all uh, undocumented uh, children to, to enter the, the United States from the Northern Triangle countries. I think there are better solutions uh, to that than, than uh, I think that's another big reason uh, that the numbers are so high from, from Northern Triangle countries right now. Okay, the messaging and dreamers. Josh Jones, former federal prosecutor, senior fellow for border security at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thank you, Josh, uh, for providing those insights. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Extended COVID-19 lockdowns have led to a surge in domestic violence around the world. Confined to home, many couples and families are experiencing health and financial stresses. But did you know that one of every three victims of domestic violence are male, not female? Well, here to set us straight and provide some insights on how we may reduce the violence and help the victims is Hampton Conway. Mr. Conway is executive director of Movement Ministries, a Maryland faith-based human services organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for youth, individuals, and families. It's a pleasure to have you with us, Hampton. So tell me, when we think of domestic violence, we think of men abusing women, but men are also victims. Tell us what's happening to men and also to boys. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to have this important conversation. Yeah, I think people just, you know, definitely assume uh, that when you talk about domestic violence, that it's typically uh, the male is the perpetrator and the woman is the uh, victim. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, there is a lot of domestic violence taking place um, that is that males are victims, whether they be men um, and as well as uh, as boys. The root causes, I think, aren't any different, regardless of um, who the victim is. But I think the reason why we don't realize that there are so many men that are also being abused is because, one, I think a lot of men are hesitant to speak up. Um, now, even women, a lot of women, statistics show, are very hesitant to speak up. But I would argue that, you know, even, you know, more so for men because of um, the nature of, you know, how men are to be perceived, you know, as being the strong ones and, and you know, pride and ego and those type of things. And so, you know, men are very reluctant um, to come out and say, hey, let me tell you about what's happening in my, my home. Let me tell you about how my wife is going upside my head or let me tell you about how my wife is belittling me and demeaning me. And that's not a common conversation that men um, are you know, really willing to have. You and your kids were battered. I imagine that that had a lot to do with leading you into a ministry now to help people overcome their abuses and their experiences. So tell us about that. Yes, I was in a, my previous marriage for 14 years. Um, and early on in the marriage, things started to transpire that um, you know, were alarming and, and concerning. 
Um, and those things kind of just gradually got worse and worse. But, you know, I kept holding out hope and holding out, you know, faith that she would change, that she would get help. Um, and unfortunately, that never happened. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was physical violence. Um, but believe it or not, the mental and emotional and verbal abuse definitely left more severe scars than the physical abuse. You've probably noticed quite a few children, child victims of violence. I'm assuming that the pandemic has even made it more difficult for educators to actually see the signs of, of abuse, physical and emotional, and then intervene when so many children are still out of the classroom. Tell us about that. What's that, what's happening yeah, there? Not, you're, you're absolutely right. So if you, if you consider the amount of hours, um, you know, that students spend at school, you know, away from the trauma that they may be experiencing at home, you know, so at least school is a relief in some respects uh, for many of these children. Um, and, and for adults, I know for me personally, even when I was going through it, you know, I really threw myself into my job more as a principal, um, you know, just because of what I was experiencing at home. And so you consider that, you know, the pandemic has definitely heightened, um, not only heightened the trauma, but heightened the exposure of the students to the trauma, uh, because they're not in school for those six, seven hours that they're normally in school for. And so, it's going to be, you know, I'm, I've been telling my, my colleagues, you know, every chance I get that we really have to ramp up and prepare for the kids return, you know, the, uh, the full return. Um, you know, some, many districts are just doing hybrid right now, but when kids get back, um, you're going to see the manifestation of a lot of the trauma that they've continued to experience and had those heightened experiences uh, when they come back. And like you said, yes, you know, they haven't been able to intervene uh, or, or see the signs, you know, as often uh, as they would have been, you know, had they been in school. And finally, I, I know you're a Christian, Hampton. So how important is it for battered men, women, children to experience the spirit and overcoming power of Jesus Christ in the healing process? Uh, the only reason I'm <laughs> sitting here today is because of my faith. Um, you know, even even at times where I felt like there was no hope, um, God always gave me a glimmer of hope uh, and, and gave me the strength to continue to hold on. Um, and so I think it's so important for those of us that do know Jesus um, to let people know that, first of all, there is help, there is hope. Um, but uh, also, you know, aside from like what our organization does, just providing practical resources, we're trying to use those practical resources to share the love of Christ. And so, you know, by getting people that are in tough situations to see and feel the love of Christ. Um, I think that makes a huge difference in them being able to uh, overcome and, and have the power to overcome. Cause we know that the power to overcome doesn't rest in us, you know, it rests in God. And I've had some people say, where was Jesus in the midst of my, uh, me being abused? And I say, he was right there with you. Hampton yes, Conway, executive director of movement ministries. Thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. Never let a crisis go to waste. Often that's the unspoken mantra of politicians worldwide. It's been a deadly spring here in the United States. We've experienced four mass shootings in four weeks. Americans grieve for the dead, the injured, and their families. And our politicians? For them, time is of the essence. Before the bodies turned cold and before the morning commenced, they rushed to the media to pontificate about how Congress should seize the moment and enact meaningful gun reform legislation.
proclaiming that gun violence must be stopped, President Joe Biden signed six executive orders restricting guns. Today, we're taking steps to confront not just the gun crisis, but what is actually a public health crisis. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says this, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So one of Biden's executive orders directs the Justice Department to crack down on ghost guns. Those guns are assembled with a 3D printer and parts purchased on the Internet. Banning or confiscating those guns would be a violation of the Second Amendment, Mr. President. That's because the Constitution gives Americans the right to keep guns. Sure, our founding fathers could not envision 3D printers, but when they passed the Second Amendment, they knew bearing arms would often require keeping parts and assembling the guns at home. And don't you find it interesting that President Biden mentioned that the gun crisis is actually a public health crisis? Our politicians talk about a public health crisis after mass shootings, but I don't hear them showing similar concern for the daily public health crisis in Chicago, one of America's great cities, do you? 446 people died in mass shootings in the USA last year. In Chicago alone, assailants killed 769 people. That's more than two murder victims per day. Where's the outrage? Where's the public health crisis in the Windy City? And Chicago has some of the toughest gun laws in the country. Folks, the president says the gun violence needs to stop. Mr. President, executive orders and anti-gun laws will not stop it. People will continue to do evil and murder one another. It's part of our sinful nature dating back to the Garden of Eden. Cain didn't have a gun to kill Abel. He probably used a stick or a rock. God weighed in on that first human homicide. Now the U.S. Supreme Court says it's ready to weigh in on an important gun rights case this year. The high court will decide if a New York law restricting people from carrying concealed handguns in public violates the Second Amendment. Well, stay tuned for that one. It's likely to be a landmark ruling. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News Channel, our broadcast affiliates, and on social media. And until next time, be blessed.